Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and our Inside the Sports Car Paddock show. This week, our 22nd episode is going to be a very unique one. It will be the first so far without Supreme Race Car Engineer Jeff Brown leading off. Why? Well, this is our very first Goodwood special coming off of the incredible, and I'm hoping that you spent a lot of time over the, uh, not only over the weekend, but also today here, Monday, recording this late Monday evening, hoping you spent plenty of time watching the Goodwood Festival of Speed, all the amazing clips of just the world's greatest race cars blasting up the hill. And so while there, my dear friend and co-pilot on the Week in Sports Cars podcast, Graham Goodwin, managed to capture 10 interviews. So this is the very first. I'm hoping it'll be the first of many inside the Sports Car Paddock Goodwood Festival of Speed specials. And so with this lineup, it wanders all over the place, which is exactly what this show is meant to be every week. So we're going to kick off here with Guy Smith and Stephen Kane, two Bentley boys, on talking about two different generations of Bentley racers on the 2003 Le Mans winner that went up the hill with Guy behind the wheel and also their effort for the upcoming Bentley 100th anniversary at the Spa 24 Hours. Then we move to BMW's Alexander Sims, been racing in Formula E primarily this year, speaks about his wish to continue as part of BMW's endurance racing lineup in GT competition. Then we move on to Oliver Bryant, talking about racing his family-owned Roush Mustang Trans Am machine. After Oliver, we have Germany's Stefan Mucha, part of the Ford GT program that has now come to a conclusion in Europe, talking about working the wrenches, being a mechanic on his father's amazing old school Zach Speed Capri and also some of his prospects after the Ford GT program is shut down. As we get to the midway point, we speak with Audi legend, touring car legend, prototype legend, Le Mans legend, Frank Bila on running up the hill in an X-Trans Am Audi 90 Quattro, one of the amazing vehicles of my youth here in America. Then we move on to our man Mike Conway, good old Con Weezy. Talking about Lamal Toyota, that, that near win, his starring role in Lamal this past June. Also talking about IMSA in the WEC season to come. Also talking a little bit about Toyota's hypercar mule as well. Then we move on to former Toyota man Anthony Davison on the upcoming WEC campaign and driving the 2009 Braun Formula One card, Goodwood. So we start to wind down. We have Mr. Lamont, Tom Christensen, Audi's Tom Christensen, just being Tom Christensen, fun conversation he had with Graham. Then we get to our man Chris Reinke from Audi as well, head of their customer sport effort on the brand new GT2 Audi R8 LMS GT2 and its place in the sport. Then we close with yet another legend, Belgium's Eric Van Der Poel, who went up the Goodwood Hill in an ex-DTM BMW E30 M3. And also he speaks about his loathing of the modern-day driver ranking system. So, as I said, we wander all over the place each week with Inside the Sports Car Paddock. This episode focusing solely on Goodwood. I hope you enjoy it because it has lots of legends, also some of today's finest drivers as well. And finally, and as always... I want to say not only thank you to Graham Goodwin for helping to 
pack this show with great interviews, but also to Cooper Tires for making the Marshall Pro Podcast possible. And our new partners this year, old friends of mine at the Justice Brothers, whose automotive chemicals and just general line of amazing products have indeed been a part of my life since I was a teen in the 1980s. All right, let's get going with 10 interviews. They're not super long, should be easy to digest. Starting with the Bentley Boys, Guy Smith and Stephen Kane. It's 100 years of Bentley being celebrated this year. We've already seen some fantastic liveries unveiled for the spa 24 hours. We've got a magnificent selection of Bentleys around the Goodwood uh, premises, but uh, three in particular here, all in a row, uh, three generations of Bentley race car, and happily, well, can we say one and a half generations of Bentley factory driver? Uh, it's Stephen Kane and Guy Smith. Guy, you're here to drive the fantastic uh, Le Mans car. Yeah, no, it's great, uh, Graham, to get back here at Goodwood. Um, anytime I get back behind the wheel of that car, it's uh, such a great buzz. And uh, when we come to somewhere like Goodwood, the you know, fans really enjoy seeing the car and uh, and hearing the car. And uh, you know, it, it still looks great. It still looks. It's, it's like a modern classic now. It, it is. Tell us a bit about the car we've got here. Is this the winning car? Yep, it's the winning car. So it's uh, absolutely pretty much as it finished the race um, it had a few more flies and bits of rubber on it but uh, I think it attended a motor show and somebody decided they were going to give it a clean so it, it's, it's pretty pretty original um, but uh, yeah it's great that we get to use it you know it's, it's nice that it's not just stuck in a museum and kind of like mothballed it's, you know we get it out when we can um, and, and run it and run it hard which is great and uh, I think that's, that's the best way for it It still does look remarkably fresh and we're here what 16 years on from that win but in the cockpit different is it moved on from there? Well, I think things obviously do move on. You know, technology moves on. I mean, it hasn't got you know traction control and all the things that a modern car would have, but actually, it doesn't really need it. You know, um, it's surprising because when you get behind the wheel of it, it still feels like a really engaging, you know, fantastic car. And you can just tell when you get behind the wheel of it. Of course, you know, things move on and, and, and what have you, but uh, it's still a great car. And every time I get back behind the wheel of it, it brings back a lot of great memories. Well, that was going to be the next question. Those memories of 2003 and a dominant year for Bentley, helping to launch the Continental. That was the idea behind the three-year programme. Maybe you, with a lot of other people thinking, would have been nice to carry on with that programme just a bit longer. Yeah, it would have been nice. I mean, I, I completely understand the business decision because obviously it made sense. The, the, the idea was about selling road cars, um, but it's a shame because we had a car that was competitive and, and certainly would have won a lot more races, I'm sure, if it carried on. But, um, you know, that, that was a decision. And, uh, you know, probably no, if, you, if you get a sort of a one-two at Le Mans, there's probably no, you can't really do much better than that anyway. So um, it probably wasn't a bad idea to stop, but it would have been nice to, to see it race more. You have to wait a while for the next episode in uh, in Bentley Motorsport history. And Stephen Kane, you were part of that uh, episode. We're now into Gen Two of the Continental. Ironically, as a road car, the the car that was promoted for sale by the the, the Le Mans uh, program. It's moved on a great deal. This is a fantastic, imposing-looking beast. We've got four of them coming to Spa, but you're coming in hot. We're coming in on the back of success finally. Yeah, it's. Um you know, obviously Spa is the biggest race of the year for us in Bentley and, you know, to uh, have our first win at Paul Ricard um, with the new second generation Bentley GT3 is fantastic and, you know, it gives the team a boost. Really looking forward to that race, 100 years of Bentley. Um, coming back there, me especially, with driving the green car, um, you know, it's the new livery, um, you know, it's exciting. 
you've got some new team members coming with you first time four cars is the is the factory attack for that no doubt whatsoever the guys are going for a win tell me a little bit about how that's been drawn together you the, the team have been smart they've given some of these guys some seat time yeah you know they've They've kept our car at 107 together all year to keep a, a consistent championship fight, and uh, they've used the other car. We're rotating drivers to try and give everyone some some time in the car. But you know, everyone's took well to the car. They've all been fast so far. Um, we had a test, you know, just uh, yesterday or the day before, and um, all all the drivers got through the two cars, and they were all fast and they were all happy with it. So. Yeah, it seems to be going well. You know, the team seems to have their structure. I've seen some some stuff written down on paper and what way they're going to run the team for the weekend. So everything seems to be in line. And you know, now the car is competitive, it's reliable, and uh, I think it should be it should be pretty straightforward in how they're going to run it over the race weekend. This guy always starts up when I start talking to people. Just been standing with a couple of fa- uh, fans looking at the car. The first thing they say, look where the engine is. I mean, this is a remarkable piece of engineering. Very modern GT3, low, far back. What's the driving experience like with this car? She looks a big car. She is a big car, but it's you sort of get the impression it doesn't drive like that. No, you know, we our car really the base weight is a, is twelve eighty kilos, and you know it's very light. You know, the car has got everything technically is so advanced. Um, and you know Bentley have done a fantastic job with M Sport, and you can see with the weight distribution, the engine's really low. It can't go any lower, and it's as far back as it possibly can. It's a 50/50 weight distribution for tire wear. Um, fantastic aero, um, and it's really uh, at the top of the the tree in terms of technically what you can do with the rules. But GT3 generally is going that way. You know, it's so competitive, it's so ultra competitive. All the manufacturers involved. And, you know, Bentley have just took it to that next level. And, um, you know, you can see that with the speed that we have and generally tire wear and, um, and even fuel efficiency over a longer race. 73 cars, Guy, are going to be at Spa this year. Are you going to be there for the race? Yeah, I'll be there cheering them on. Um, I think uh, it's going to be exciting. I think, you know, Bentley coming into the race with some momentum. Um, I think um, the car now is, is ready. You know, it's ready to win. They've got the speed, got the reliability. Um, it's actually going to be Brian Gush's final race as head of motorsport, so I think it'd be a fitting tribute to him to, you know, it's definitely the one that, that's left out there for him to win. Um, so I think, you know, there'd be no better send-off to win Spa for him. Uh, so, you know, I feel confident these guys can do it. As I said, it's, it's, uh, it's been a journey to get there, but it's super competitive in GT3. But, uh, you know, they really would be the ice on the cake for the programme to do that. As we said, 73 cars, that sounds like an awful lot. For the guy with literally a guy with a wise head on his shoulders what's your advice to Stephen and the boys out there well I think it's the same same as any endurance race you just got to you've got to be in it to win it for a start and you've got to be there obviously it's just about trying to keep the leaders in, in, in you know keep keep at the front um, I think if you, if you can run at the front you know you, you've just got to stay out of trouble and you're going to be somewhere in the mix at the end of course you know, 24 hour races it throws up all kinds of different scenarios and you know it's always better to win from the front than, uh, than win from the back so um, yeah just get up the front qualify as well as you can and, and just try and keep your head down and stay out of trouble simple as that easy Let's see if it is that easy. For now, Stephen Guy, enjoy the day with these fantastic Bentleys and with this amazing crowd, local professional speed. Great, thank you very much. Another face in the crowd uh, with Exchange Wave and grabbed remorselessly for a five-minute podcast, the Marshall Pruitt podcast. Alexander Sims um, here complete with 
BMW colours and standing in front of some fantastic BMW race cars. What are you here to do this weekend? Um, uh, obviously to present my face uh, to the crowd. That's obviously the, the big draw for most people here. Um, and to, to drive a, a DTM car is the main thing, yes, tomorrow and tomorrow Sunday. Tomorrow and Sunday in front of a very, very big crowd. Let's talk about your adventures at the racetrack right now. It's a completely different game now uh, for you. But rather oddly, from the very early days I was aware of you, the EV route was always something you were passionate about. Yes, yeah, I've been interested in, in EVs and um, for probably close to 10 years now I guess in terms of the interest and then I've been driving one for six or seven years now in my day-to-day life at home so um, yeah I've been trying to be involved in Formula E since it, since it, since it starts um, and now pretty awesome to be in a position with BMW as one of their two drivers so um, yeah nice. Tell us a bit about those events it's it's a coming force lots of factory money and interest coming that tends to bring with it an awful lot of business to business activity at the uh, at the tracks and we've seen that uh, the Formula E events are, are growing in popularity yes it's it's a fascinating space I would say um, it's evolving um, pretty quickly in terms of yeah the interest from from outside interest from manufacturers I think it's yeah situated as one of the probably the top single seater one of the top motorsport championships in the world nowadays um and yeah it's it's really just actually very interesting from from my point of view it's uh going through the development for season five um and now doing a little bit of the work for season six um how closely the the road car side of bmw works in the formula e project um i think it's probably a while since motorsport has had so much relevance to to road cars of now in the future um i think uh yeah we've had lots of the same people who designed the the powertrains in the i3 and the i8 working on the formula e project um they take that learning back into the road cars into the electric cars of the future um and yeah it's it's a very very interesting place to be and to to be a part of that as a driver of of that development process um is really really interesting um lots of cool discussions with the engineers because having done a couple of gt um development programs with the m8 with the m6 um to be honest by the time you get the car it's pretty much finished and you're just fine-tuning the cooling aspects and the brake uh sorry engine cooling brake cooling maybe a bit of traction control abs but you know the fundamentals of the car are done um whereas with formula e the the software that we're introducing with the electric motor is yeah, it's, it's changing the car a lot, so it's really cool. It is a period of time where drivers have had to adapt to massive new technology, whether or not that's been in LMP1, whether or not that's to do with turbo drivetrains in GT racing and now into Formula E. Gives us a kind of link, slightly shoehorned in there, about the GT programme. Sadly, we've seen the end of that, for the moment at least, in the WEC, continues at IMSA. Are we going to see you in a GT car again? I hope so. Um, yeah, I mean, I did Sebring this year in WEC, um, and one round of Italian GT, that was it. I was going to do the Nürburgring um, before there was a date change in Formula E that made it clash, uh, unfortunately. But um, no, I think the intention is there to, to still do endurance racing. I enjoy it massively. Um, and it's, yeah, it's a completely different world to Formula E, uh, but nevertheless, yeah, really but, enjoyable. But time behind the wheel of any race car has got to be helpful. It, it's very, very helpful. Um, and, and, you know, it's what 
I, I live for professionally um, and yeah with Formula E single day events there's not actually a huge amount of of driving uh, lots of simulator work and and media and then a very short condensed race day so to, to get back behind the wheel in endurance races for one two three hour stints and then get back in again and again uh, it's, it's yeah really re- rewarding and, and look forward to doing more enjoy tomorrow enjoy Sunday um, if you can get to the car through the crowds for now Alexander Sims thank you very much thank you very much Well, the Goodwood Festival of Speed, and amongst the features up the hill this year, Tintop Titans, and I'm standing in front of the number 65, the Marlborough sponsored car, uh, the 1995 Ford Mustang GTS1. There cannot be, on the 4th of July, a more American car. Uh, this very British events, and of course, with a very American car on Independence Day, who would you choose to take the car up the hill but... Oliver Bryant. Oliver, you're not American. No, but I think I'd like to be after driving this. Uh, right, you've just uh, just given me a, a, a kind of rather vivid uh, description of what this car was like uh, up on the hill. Uh, the hill. This is your first time here. I can't believe it. Yeah, I've been been to the event before, and I've been up the hill as a passenger before, but never done it as a you know a competitor. So it's uh, fantastic to have a go up there. I'd like to have done it in you know something safe and front wheel drive probably to start with, but. Um, Straight away up in this, it's 750 ponies, um, Roush Ford Mustang engine, uh, awesome thing to drive, 5.9 litre, car weighs about 1,100 kilos, so it's, um, it's quite a beast. Um, the brakes, we put some sort of sprint pads in it, so it actually stops quite well, um, but really for me that was just an exploratory run to uh, try and get the thing off the line and, and see how it goes. But, um, Hang on a minute, 750 horsepower, 1,100 kilos, you can enter this in hypercar. <laughs> Yeah, I could hear yeah, probably in the wrong class, but um, no, it's, it's fantastic. So um, yeah, really, really looking forward to giving it some squirt up the hill. Uh, tomorrow we get a couple of runs. We get a couple of runs each day, really. So if I can uh, keep chipping away at the times and hopefully get into the shootout. So how many cars are running for a time this year? Uh, well, I don't think we know at this stage. Um, in that session there, there was certainly sort of 30 cars that were being timed. Um, but I think it whittles down to 20 or 10, maybe even for Sunday. So... Um, yeah, I mean, there's a few electric cars there, and this is the, the opposite of that. Very opposite. So um, this makes a much better noise, and you can make it home on one tank. But other than that... It's, uh... <laughs> Tell us a little about the history of the car. It's, it's you know, it's Trans Am? Yeah, it's a mid-90s Trans Am. I think the chassis actually originally built in 92, but as you know, they kind of kept changing the bodies and kept them going forever. So um, you could still race this in SCCA Trans Am today. Um, probably need some different tyres and a different engine restrictor, but you could still run the thing. So, uh, yeah, it's an awesome car, and it's, uh, it, this livery is a 1995 livery, I think, from Daytona, or 96, but um, really, really cool livery. Awesome to have it in these colours at this event, because it looks fantastic. And is this a car that joins the Bryant fleet, or is this just one that you're out to play with this weekend? We've actually owned it since sort of 2008, and we used oh, to wow. race it in the States, and I last drove it at Zebring in 2012, and then we shipped the car back over, because there's a few things you can do with it now in Europe, and... Um, We've just restored it and, and gone right through it. And the first outing was at Dijon a few weeks ago. And we'd like to, um, to get it out. We're going to do the Endurance Racing Legends uh, race oh, wow. down at Monza with it. So that'll be fantastic, you know, up against 550 Manolos and DBR9s and things to uh, a different approach of doing the same lap time, hopefully. Somewhat different than a DBR9, absolutely. You've got a massive smile on your face. Um, it's, it is an extraordinary thing. And we, we heard the thing uh, being turned over this morning. Um, from Belgium, in fact, uh, where, where you actually fired the thing up. It's loud. Yeah, no, it's all, it is awesome. You know, they, it's one thing they, uh, they do right in the States. They all make the right noise. Good stuff. 
good luck with it. We'll possibly come back and uh, shake you by the hand once you've given Roman Dumas a good drubbing uh, <laughs> with that uh, amazing VW IDR. Uh, what kind of time are you aiming for up the hill? Well, as I've never done it, I don't really know. But you know, I'd like to think it would get to similar sort of times that a GT3 car would. It obviously, hasn't got the brakes or the aero, but it's certainly got the power. So, um, you know, whatever time that ends up being, you know, I'd like to get in the 40s, but I've got no idea whether that's realistic or not in this at this stage. Um, I did a 57 then, but that was very much exploratory. I was probably a gear lower everywhere than I should have been. And uh, you know, let's see. And you know, the key thing is obviously not to go off in it because of course you're not going to get another chance if you do that so, uh, absolutely right I'm going to leave you now so you can go off and make sure that your health uh, insurance is actually bang up to date <laughs> and we'll go from there for now Ollie thanks a million thank you cheers more and more and more iconic cars in the Goddard Festival SP paddock and we're quite often used to hearing over radio push Stefan Mucker but not quite what I saw this morning which is Stefan Mucker pushing his father Zaxby Capri an amazing car Stefan tell us a little about about this this magnificent beast yeah it's a it's an awesome car I had the pleasure to drive it uh, last year up the hill uh, it's a great car it's uh, built in 1980 uh, raced by Klaus Ludwig won the championship in 81 uh, the German yeah, DTM at that time and uh, it's just an amazing Group 5 car. It has an aluminium tube frame chassis. The weight is only 850 kilos. And then you have uh, 600 horsepower, so out of four cylinders. And uh, it's just amazing to drive. Yeah. So the engine in this, uh, I seem to recall, very small turbo engine. Yes, they run with 1.4 and 1.7. This is now the 1.7. And uh, we, pr- we run around 550 horsepower. You can run it with more boost pressure, a little higher, but um, reliable, it's with 550. Uh, so on revs up, something over there. Sounds like a bike. You're used to turbo Fords. Tell us about the difference in the tech uh, between this car, which you have raced, and of course the Ford GT we should be racing up to Le Mans. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's completely different. You can't compare both cars, but it's great to have both cars here. Actually, later on I will drive uh, our current Ford GT from from this year Le Mans up the hill, and uh, they can't be more more different. As you said, it's both turbocharged engines, um, but the development uh, has gone so far ahead. This one has big legs, so you ask for power, and there's nothing, nothing, and then it's like a, a cannonball <laughs> uh, you sit on. And uh, the other one is much more smoother. And uh, but okay, also the, the weight difference. I mean, uh, in these days they had 850 kilos with aluminium tube frame chassis. You don't want to have a crash with it, but it's fast and it feels fast. Let's talk a little bit about the Ford GT, the 66 car, still in its commemorative livery. It looks great in those colours. It's sitting just behind us. Tell us a few reflections on that program for you. You were there from the very start. The success for you guys came a little later, perhaps, but you had a smile on your face all year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I joined that program, I had a big smile on my face because it's just a unique car. And as we have a little Ford Historic Race Car collection, that suited perfectly. And it was a great time the last four years. Uh, um, it, it, it was awesome to drive. And, uh, yeah, it's still good to, to be here uh, probably uh, last time up the hill. There is an inevitable question, which is what next? We know the end of the factory program has come in the WEC. It's the end coming in the United States. We wait for what we believe will be an announcement there of a new program in the U.S. with something different than a GTLM. What's next for Stefan Mucker? Yeah, and currently I'm uh, yeah, working on something for the future and uh, it's, it's too early to say anything but of course you look in every direction and um, I'm sure something will come up for next year. 
I'm going to push slightly, slightly harder. You've had links with more than one factory team in the WEC years and success with more than one factory team. Where do we think we might have the next opening for you? GT? Prototypes? Where? Um, I mean, uh, in the past I've driven prototypes, so this is something I always loved and I always like, and of course you look into that as well. Yeah, It would be great to go back in a prototype, but I also love the GT cars. So for me, um, it makes not really a difference. I'm working in every direction, and I'm sure something will come up. Stefan, the very best of luck. We want to see you back. Thank you. Well, we've had one out of your legend, Tom Christensen. We've got another, Frank Beegler. Frank, it's great to see you. Saw you from afar at uh, the Nürburgring in the 24 hours. That was great news for Audi. Just tell us a little bit about what you're here at the Festival of Speed to drive. Um, I'm actually here to drive the Trans Am. I mean, uh, a beast uh, 30 years old. Uh, but it's, 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 it's really good fun, and, um, but the special thing is it's always nice to come here to Goodwood, you know. I mean, no matter what car I'm in, uh, I love to come here. It's a, it's a fantastic event, and uh, especially the last few times I, I have been here, weather was always very good, so it's, it's, always, having, it's always like that. We are having a lot of fun, you know, and uh, I guess the fans have a lot of fun as well. And there's a lot of them here. I mean, it's going to be something over 100,000 people tomorrow again, again the same on Sunday. This is an astonishing event. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean, you have the impression it's getting bigger and bigger every year, uh, which is very, very nice to see, you know. I mean, because times are changing, a lot of things are going on in the world, you know, and somehow this place keeps us together, you know. We do have the old historical cars, maybe even, I don't know, 80 years old or whatever, and uh, we see a lot of new things or maybe even some things which will come in the future. So it's fantastic uh, to have this event. Uh, yeah, uh, we, are, we are just happy to be here and, and I hope it will continue for a long, long time. You know? Tell us a bit about that Trans Am car. Uh, you know, the word iconic is often used, but it is. It's one of those cars that you look at and it just sends you weak at the knees. Yeah, and they just look fantastic. You know, they are really uh, wide and uh, low and they look wild and big wheels and, and like you expect an old, typical old touring car, you know. And, um, yeah, we do have the Trans Am car, which was uh, in the U.S. in 88. And then a year later, uh, they continued with the GTO car, which was more powerful. Let's, let's say the main difference somehow, it was different rules. The Trans Am has around 550 brake horsepower, 2-liter engine or 2.1-liter turbocharged, of course. So it's really good fun. And it's, uh, it's, it's a Quattro, of course, you know. So uh, it's good fun to drive this car. And, uh, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Long career, still with Audi, and that's great to see. When people stop you and say, you're Frank Bigler, what do they ask you? A lot of people, honestly, especially being here, uh, they talked to me about BDCC in 96 and 97, and it has been a fantastic time. I mean, I always used to say, I mean, every single thing I did uh, with Audi uh, at its time was, was very important, but... Um, if I have, let's say, from the touring car career, if, if I have to pick a certain point, it's definitely 96 when I won the British Touring Car Championship. And uh, a lot of people uh, remember those days. Uh, so do I. It, it was fantastic. And then, of course, Le Mans as well. Yeah, a lot of people know the uh, or know about the five Le Mans wins and an end. I mean, what we did over there with the prototypes was fantastic. But, um, again, being here, especially in the UK... A lot of people remember the good old BTCC. It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, you think back at how long ago that was and still success coming. We've had a launch of a brand new Audi race car yeah. today. It seems that Audi could do very little but come up with success. 
Yeah, I mean, whatever, whatever we did, uh, pretty soon we were successful, you know, and I hope they can continue in the future as well. Of course, time is changing and then we are jumping from one uh, category, let's say, to the other one. But now in GT3, for example, we are quite for a while, I think even 10 years now, around 10 years. And um, yeah, uh, let's see what, what this uh, GT2 thing uh, uh, brings. I just had a look few minutes ago it looks really nice i hadn't seen it before so uh you me both and i unveiled it you know so uh <laughs> it looks pretty nice and let, let, let's see what they can do but in general i think um my god um, time is changing uh, things are developing and uh, so far i think we always picked the right way and we were successful and we tried to do something nice for for the audi fans for the motorsport fans keep coming back it's always great to see you frank Bieler, thanks for your time thank you very much you bumped into all sorts at the Goodwood Festival of Speed and one of the very first I bumped into on Friday morning, Mike Conway. Mike, smiling after what has to be said was a gruelling, astonishing uh, Le Mans 24 hours. Tell us where you are at the moment after that uh, amazing end of the race. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, no, it's, it's kind of finally sinks in, I think, when you come to events like this, when everyone's here and... Um you know, you start talking about racing again, you know, the last couple of weeks. Um, been busy. I uh, was at Watkins Glen last weekend. But, yeah, finally sinking in, really, kind of what's happened. Um, but, you know, yeah, tough one to get over. I think it would take a while to get over that one. But um, I feel all right. I'm kind of ready for the next season, even though it's been a very short period. Um, you know, the next season's just around the corner. So got to kind of just think about that now and forget about Le Mans a bit but yeah I mean I'm still happy with uh, the performance that we, we did at Le Mans as a team everyone on car 7 was you know faultless uh, just a shame that what happened right at the end when I don't know when you least expect it I guess um, seems yeah. to be a bit of a total trait it's got to be said that the unexpected yeah. strikes I know yeah we saw it in 2016 with um, with the sister car when theirs was like 5 minutes to go and that was just unbelievable so yeah I mean just a shame you know we had the puncher that, that we had enough time to fix it and get back out of the leads but it just happened to be that the sensors were the wrong way around and oh what a mess you know you can't write these things but I'll ask one question about it and then we'll put that one in history where it belongs which is what was the reaction of the team to you three after that race ah uh, they were just so upset for us you know um, they knew that that we had the race covered and you know I think even car eight thought they were happy-ish with kind of finishing second and uh yeah they were just gutted everyone was obviously very emotional crying and you know I thought I was going to hold it together until I saw Kaz in um up by the podium and he was like crying and and then he got me going so <laughs> bless your heart yeah let's talk about Watkins Glen Caddies weren't really there that weekend no um I mean I thought we'd be all right. We were ha- kind of hanging in there. Uh, as the race was kind of going on, we were getting closer and closer to the pace of the Acuras and the Mazdas, but really they were just dominant. So the Mazdas especially, just very, very quick. So, yeah, didn't have much for them. Um, and we, our strategy wasn't the best. We went a lap down because we pitted when we shouldn't have really. And, uh, yeah, that kind of sealed our fate. And then we were just fighting for sixth on our own. You know, not there was a car a lap ahead of us and the other car behind us was two laps behind us so just in our own little world at the end there but uh, it was good to be back in the Cadillac anyway it's been 
since the Raw when I was in there. So, uh, yeah, it's been a little while. Well, yeah, of course, messing with visa yeah, issue. visa, yeah. Yeah, that just came together too late. So my passport was in the embassy. Oh, so I could travel. That was a the problem there. So, yeah, unfortunate. But, um, yeah, good to be back in the car. And it's kind of it's good to just go and race again. Kind of forget about Le Mans, you know, which is not, not a bad thing to do. It never stops. You're back contesting with Tota next week at Paul Ricard. Yeah, yeah, looking forward to that. Um, back into the car and uh, just focus on the next season now. So, yeah, a few little updates. I think that we're going to try and, um, you know, get ready for the 1920 season. So, looking forward to it. Um, it's coming around quick, but I'm looking forward to, you know, in a couple of weeks, I've got like a week off, which will be nice. Just bit of a reset I suppose I hear you I very much hear you yeah. and beyond that we now know hypercar's coming there's now been a formal announcement are you yet have you seen the new car uh, are you involved in that test program yeah I mean I'm excited and I'm happy that other manufacturers are coming in you know it's good to have Aston there um, and, and on the first year as well we, you know we weren't sure who was going to join us in that first year so um, yeah you know it's great that Toyota's committed and, and they're, they're pushing forward so um, yeah, it looks cool. I mean, it's going to be different. Um, a bit slower than what we're driving now. So, yeah, it's going to be get used to a, a heavier car um, and a different way of producing the lap times, more engine power and the hybrids restricted at certain speeds and, and stuff like that. So all new things to get used to. But anytime you, you're developing a new car is always fun. So, But, yeah, I guess this will be the last year of the mega quick cars. Um and then over time, hopefully, they'll, they'll get them quicker and quicker. But, um, yeah, no, it's, I'm still enjoying the cars we've got now. And, uh, but, yeah, the, cars, the car does look good uh, from design stage. I mean, it looks pretty, pretty cool. I mean, it's, really, it's a prototype still. Um, yeah, we'll just have a different look. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited about it and um, looking forward to what our competition will bring as well. Final question. Is it good at festival of speed? You're just walking out the driver's club. What are you yeah. off to drive today? Uh, I've got the GT4 Supra oh, wow. concept. Okay. So, um, and that production car, that car uh, for the GT4 car announced officially yesterday yes. will be available for customers. Tell us a little bit about that car. Yeah, so it's, um, it's, it's really kind of a concept at the moment and what's here today anyway. Um, but they'll be going into production um, with the GT4 car. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a race-ready um, product. Um, a good entry point I think for anyone that wants to go racing or you know track day stuff and um, yeah and you can see it here it looks cool I think everyone likes the look of it so uh, and fun uh, I'll let you know I haven't driven it yet so um, it should be good I mean it's got like brand new ice cold slicks on it so uh, I think the first two corners are going to be pretty interesting so we'll put fun in parenthesis for the moment then Mike Conway thanks for your time this morning enjoy the run Well, the thing about Goodwood is you see some very familiar faces in some unfamiliar places and a very familiar face, ex-FIWC world champion, and Davidson, fresh from the super season in LMP2. And uh, we'll talk in a moment about what you're going to drive up the hill. I can see it next to me, and that's going to be quite exciting. Let's talk about last season. Let's talk about going into next season. Uh, success late with Dragon Speed, moving on to a new team, and real hopes of success with Jota Sport. Yeah, can't wait to get started in the new season. Um, it was a bit of a, um, uh, 
yeah, strange uh, time for me in the in the super season because I didn't do the first two races. So uh, missing out on those um, felt like I was coming into it. Yeah, obviously a, a, a bit late, a bit underprepared. Um, tried to drive it first race like an LMP1 car, which didn't really work out too well. Um, not just any LMP1 car, a four-wheel drive Toyota hybrid. So uh, that was um, bit of a, a bit of a, a culture shock. But um, I really enjoy driving the car. Really enjoy, yeah, most of all, there's the, the, the group of teammates that I got in Roberto and Pasta. And uh, so that continues into into the new uh, the new season, and um, yeah, we just sort of clicked and gelled more and more as the as the races went on, to the point where we won in Spa. Um, yeah, we we we've learned each other's strengths and weaknesses as a as a trio, and like you always have to. Um, and now, yeah, it feels much more natural to drive that car. Still haven't mastered it, definitely not. But um, I get glimpses every now and again how when I really find my feet and I'm in the right when it all clicks I'm in the right zone uh, that I know I'm definitely one of the fastest P2 drivers out there um, so yeah I've really enjoyed that time enjoyed driving a new car and it's it's never as easy as you just taking plucking a, a top line LMP1 driver and sticking them into a P2 it's not plug and play anymore is it? it's really not you, you don't just go and, uh, and dominate it does take time so um yeah, I think uh, you know, Pastor and myself, we've been learning this this car, and um, no, it's it's a fun car to drive, and but a difficult car to drive, uh, much more difficult than I thought it would be. Now we don't yet know about what the tyre choice is going to be, but if it's going to be a tyre choice, it won't be Dunlop because it would be Goodyear or Michelin coming forward. Anything you can tell us about that? Anything you can tell us about pre-season testing? Haven't stepped foot in the car yet um, with Jota running it, so. Uh, it's, uh, that's that's an unknown. Um, obviously, they do a good job, you know. As did Dragon Speed, you know, two pro teams. Um, yeah, so I, I kind of know what to expect. But uh, yeah, in terms of the tyres, I've only ever driven Michelin in uh, in, in sports cars. So um, yeah, if, if it is another type of tyre, I mean, still undecided, then uh, then yeah, that's you know, it's just another thing to have to to get used to. But I'm sure that that side of things won't take too long. And is the testing planned before we get to Silverstone? Well, yeah, we've got the prologue. Um, so we'll be at the prologue, and uh, that's probably going to be the only time uh, before Silverstone. But like I said, you know, it's the same car. It's, uh, that's the beauty of LMP2. It's, it's all the same car, same engine. Uh, well, it's when you're in Orica, at least. And um, so, no, I mean, look, we, it's same driver lineup. So it's all going to feel very, very familiar. Yeah. We've got new season new places uh, new challenges to come let's talk a little bit about not just last season but moving forward there is a new era coming you've got this stable driver squad the game plan is clearly go and try and win LMP2 is there potential for something beyond that what with our driver lineup currently oh I don't know I mean you'd have to speak to Roberto about that but um, I think for now you know the focus is just on LMP2 um, we've had a taste of success. Obviously, Pastor and Roberto won Daytona as well in that class. So, uh, you know, they've, they've had um, two victories uh, together. One big one, of course. But um, I think Roberto he really wants to win Le Mans in P2. Um, it'd be nice for me to finally stand on that top step in, in any category one day. So that's that's what I'm I'm looking forward to as well. But. Yeah, I mean, just spoke to your ex-teammate, Mike Conway. I think he feels probably about the same. I think we can empathise with each other, Yeah. <laughs> Um, let's talk a little bit about 
your way forward. You've got the WEC program. We talked before for this podcast about you looking for other avenues. Anything else on the horizon for you? Not quite yet. No, it's um, like still for me. You know, I've got to look at the uh, the Sky TV work that I do as well, and it takes up a lot of a lot of my time. So I'm doing 14 races this year. That might increase for next year. Who knows? But um, you know, it does take a lot of time. Um, a lot more work goes into that stuff than just rocking up at the track and talking to the camera. So um, yeah, it's a very involved, uh, very. Involved. And you're good at it. Well, thanks, thanks very much. I mean, I don't feel like I'm good at it, but yeah, it's. Uh, that's what everyone seems to say. So It's better than feeling like you're good at it and not being. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's talk about why you're here. Uh, this is one of those events, it's one of the very few events where we see, as I say, familiar faces with unfamiliar cars for them. Tell us a little bit about the beast that's to your right, to my left. So, yeah, it's the, the Braun GP 2009 car. Um, obviously, only ever did the one season. It was a uh, derivative of the uh, and an evolution of the Honda uh, the Honda F1 car design manufactured in Brackley and um, it was a continuation of that that theme um, albeit with a very interesting uh, story behind it with the team uh, Honda pulling out of Formula 1 back, back in those days at the end of 2008 um, I was at Super Guri at the time as well so I was the first to kind of fall foul of that of the Honda's pull out um, as Super Guri folded after just four races into the season in 08 then my work continued with Honda did some testing with them and then they pulled the plug at the end of the year and left Brackley really in the lurch so Ross and Nick Fry stepped it up and and, uh, took the team on and created Braun GP and created this car to to my right that we're looking at right now and um, it's uh, they got the Mercedes engine in the back of it that was a real effort from, from everyone to you know try and cut and shut the car quite literally to, to shoehorn the engine into it um, and obviously it's not just the the engine get mounting onto the, the chassis it was all how the gearbox mounts onto it and still to this day there are weaknesses in the gearbox because of that engine change that they've just been briefing me about not dumping the clutch too hard off the line and you know because it wasn't designed to run with this engine so um yeah, it's a fascinating story. Obviously, the double diffuser came along as well. That was designed during its Honda period uh, by some Japanese staff back in uh, back in Tajegi, uh, the Honda Honda factory back in in Japan, and um, and it found its way onto this car. And they knew they had a fantastic car. It was way above the numbers that they were aiming for uh, in the in the in the in the build up to the year. But they potentially were going to face the fact that they were never going to run the car. It was never going to see the light of day. Um, Is this the first time you've driven this thing? No way. Have you not seen my overalls? <laughs> <laughs> Look, these, these overalls are 10 years old as well. Yeah, and you can still get in them. Oh, There's more than I would be able to. <laughs> <laughs> so looking, um, you're looking forward to this? No, I used to test drive this car back in the day. So this was the last Formula 1 car I ever drove. Wow. Wow, so you it's say like a that wistful eyes there, wistful eyes. Yeah, it's like a time capsule for me, you know, getting back into it. It really, it's really strange. I mean, yes, I only, admittedly, only ever did straight line testing and aero testing in this car, but, you know, I had a feel for it. And based on all my years of testing properly at Honda, um, yeah, this really was, uh, it's a strange feeling to come back here, same suit as I wore 10 years ago, same car that I drove 10 years ago. And, uh, yeah, very, very, very... Uh, surreal experience and now in private ownership 
now Ross owns the car um, yeah ran by a, 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 a crew that are based in Silverstone um, and yeah it's it's, uh, it's almost one of a kind so um, yeah the engine is uh, you know, there, there are no spares for it so you know it really is a, it's quickly turning into a proper museum piece with real history enjoy it there's a massive crowd here to see it for now and Davidson we'll see you next season for the FRWEC enjoy the festival SP thanks very much yeah any legendary event needs a legendary driver okay then Tom Christensen you'll do <laughs> Tom you and I have just been part of the global launch of this brand new Audi R8 LMS GT2 and you're pulling my legs always it wouldn't yeah. be an interview without it Tom, it's another member of the Audi Sport family. I mean, you know, you're so much part of the story. What does it feel like when you see another chapter? It's uh, it's always amazing, and they it, it, it never disappoint, does it? It just keep keep going, uh, and 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 for sure the the four rings with the with the R8 badged on it. I mean, when we look back in the LMP LMP1 days, uh, going around Le Mans or Trois Rivières or Sebring or Harama or whatever, wherever we race those cars and uh, the decision of the board members to make, we want an R8, Audi R8 sports car for the road. What a um, decision uh, and what a superb decision they took. I, uh, I feel very proud when I see an R8. And of course the story about the customer racing have developed with uh, the R8, the GT3, LMS uh, winning, I mean Nürburgring a few weeks ago again and uh, what, ha- what has happened over these uh, 10 years. That's, that's quite amazing. And now to see a, a new one, I mean, it's, it's first of all very modern, not only with the, with the, with the, with the um, sort of the flaps, the flicks, the, but also in the terms of the, um, the design of the, of, of, of the way they put the coloring, the way they put the um, air intake for the engine, the way they attach the rear wing, I mean, Tats from the rear. Swan necks. Um, and basically, all these things really comes to eye. And I haven't really looked at all the detailed uh, details yet. But it just springs to mind. It's uh, it's Audi, and it's uh, it's a car which is aggressive, and it's a car which appeals to people. You are a bloke who looks forward, but you're also a bloke that appreciates the traditions of the sports. Um, the bonnet, the uh, the, the roof, the roof scoop, though. It's a dominant feature on this car, and that's the one that's the feature that everybody that's spoken to me since we took the covers off just moments ago dominates this. That's pretty old school. Yeah, it, it is, but I mean, it's, uh, it's still, it was a very good idea very, very early on. Um, I mean, you probably can tell me when it exactly happened, but I mean, it's something like the 60s, maybe early 70s, in, the, in this area when they start to do it. It is, uh, it is the part and of the car which is, uh, is sitting high and you're getting a very good um, very good airflow coming into the engine of course you have the side blades the openings as well but again with a narrow uh, let's say cockpit it's done due to the the spider frame of the of the car it gives uh, still a very very good airflow uh, to the rear wing and actually it helps of of helping the airflow to arrive better to the rear section of the car 20 years or so since you started endurance racing since then we've seen the global picture for endurance racing explode with gt racing gt3 gt4 yeah. and now gt2 
there must be what two three times as many international races as there were when you were in your pomp in the late 90s in yeah. the 21st century yeah there is and, and that's uh, exciting I watch it obviously sometimes but I mean what I still even in my uh, late age <laughs> is I, en- I, I enjoy <laughs> driving at, at different events around uh, different dealer meetings different meetings from, from Audi Sport or track days to drive these cars and I look forward to get into this GT2 car as well I, I, I can tell you we had four days in Ascari um, earlier this year driving uh, passenger rides in the in the GT3 LMS and, uh, and it was always into the dusk every day and that was brilliant the cars really can take it and you give an incredibly uh, feedback uh, obviously to the driver but certainly also uh, to the passenger rides you do but this car is fitting perfectly for somebody who would like to go on track by himself maybe going to one of these clubs or whatever they have around the world which uh, uh, gives gives uh, you the opportunity and possibility to uh, to drive them on, on on track days or to go into the championships which i need to learn more for from um, from 2020 and onwards Final question from me. We see you around the, the racetracks, of course, in, in your retirement as a driver. What is everyday life now for Tom Christensen? Obviously, as an ambassador for the Audi brand worldwide, but what, what from day to day do we... I, uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm privileged uh, to still to be uh, working so much uh, with, uh, with the sport and still to be able to see my family uh, that little wee, be, wee bit more. But um, with the FIA, I'm heading the Drivers' Commission, which is, uh, which is very important, and I take a high responsibility for that. Uh, with Rolex, there's different events as well. And then I commentate uh, with you. I learned you a little bit from you and helping <laughs> out around uh, with the Eurosports coverage at Le Mans. It was a great I, cup of tea, by the way. I, I, I love make, make a cup, cup of tea for the commentators. <laughs> and then once in a while, I go to the studio, try to, to highlight on either what happened or maybe what we can expect to happen or maybe how I would reflect on that having, uh, having done it um, um, some years earlier. And uh, I also commentate Formula One for the Scandinavians, so particularly in Denmark. So I'm still very much evolved around the, the motorsport, which, uh, which keeps me busy. But for sure, on a day like today, when we, uh, when we give uh, birth to a new baby, that's, uh, that's always uh, special occasions and highlights because we want to see that, them do well with, um, with a lot of happy, happy faces, happy customers, and, and certainly uh, happy races uh, around the planet. So always would like to see you. Thanks very much for your time. Could you make me a cup of tea, please? Let's go get a cup of tea. Chris Renke, we're getting used to taking you to one side and talking about new car launches. Four in four years now, after the GT4, the uh, TCR car, the evolution of the Audi R8, uh, GT3, and now, well, I, I was going to say stepping into the... Uh, GT2 Arena, but actually what you've done is kicked the door in and gone in shooting. And I think as you as you describe, you know, year by year hopefully you also brought more and more exciting products. For sure I say that standing in front of the GT2 here at the moment. Um, and we try really to, to increase the portfolio. We just not try to bring another product. We really try to, to tailor out about a customer clientele we are sure we have identified out there. And that was every product so far. The TCR was clearly an entry level with Audi into professional racing. Um, the next thing was with a GT4 into GT racing. And then obviously um, the Evo on the GT3 was uh, for an update 
for our benchmark um, and obviously, you know, for, for 11 years now, uh, success model. Uh, and it was time to kick off a new era. And uh, we choose a GT2 formula, which doesn't exist as such as per yet. So it's the first time actually the Audi Sport customer racing commits uh, to a product before actually the race series is confirmed because we believe we have built such a um, customer base at the moment and in such standing um, within uh, club races uh, that we say, well, you know, this is our escape road from everyday stress life. Uh, and at one point, if you want to take it racing, we have to trust into the SRO so they'll make sure that we have exciting services out there in the world as well. Now, we know the philosophy behind GT2. It is gentleman racer based. It is about big power, lower aero. Tell us a little bit about the design philosophy you've applied in this car because there is still a lot of aero on it. It's very aggressive aero. There is one overriding feature, aside from the colour scheme you've chosen to launch it in, which is fabulous. Uh, Very, very uh, new look for an Audi Sport product. But it's that roof scoop. That roof scoop is, is it's the design feature that every single person so far has commented on. Well, the, the, the scoop on top is uh, basically a follow-up on the scheme that we said if we build now the ultimate GT race car based on the R8, we need to start from the ultimate on the road, and that is a spider. So we started with the spider body, which gives it quite some width in the rear. Obviously, ended added track width in the front to match up. And then we needed, we wanted the ultimate on performance on the engine side. And therefore, you need full breathability, and therefore we put the scoop on. It actually has a true air ram effect, and it also influences the look in the front because when you see that the radiators exits go to each side, and you have actually a flat panel in the front, this is exactly where the turbulences would start into the air scoop, and therefore it's a flat panel that we don't have any turbulences going in. So it's all technical driven as it should be uh, by Audi but all obviously wrapped in a beautiful design. So based on the Spider, tell us in terms of the commonality not just with the road car but with your other race cars, the GT4 and the GT3, what level of commonality can you build in between the three cars? Well as they're all solidly based on the road car um, and we say from the performance level from the positioning in front of customer the GT2 goes in between GT3 and GT4 this is also when it comes to common parts uh, we claim 60% of the GT4 is based on a road car 50% on the GT3 this one is exactly in the middle so we have overlays in the cage with the GT4 we have the drivetrain similarity with the GT4 we have obviously you know the extreme and body work uh, closer to the gt3 so you would find elements uh, from each and it's designed by the same guys who designed the other cars so it's always an evolution in knowledge on the core racing product final question it's an important one perceived wisdom is gt2 is here because sro anticipating the fact that gt3 costs are rising across the the product range there's going to be a question around running costs we know that audi uh, take pride in the fact that that's been a selling point not just in terms of customer care but the running costs of your gt race products where are you with this car well this car sells from today on for 338 plus tax um so also when we say it's somewhere in between gt4 and gt3 that's also where it's priced in um yeah, but then it, it's not an overlay in our portfolio, it's an addition. We widen our possibilities. So when you have climbed into the entry-level GT, into a GT4 LMS car, yeah, there might be the split of route. You stay gentleman racing and go out to track days and want to have fun and want to 
enjoys the lateral uh, acceleration, you go GT2. If you want to go in diehard competition on pro level, you take the GT3 route. So when the route starts to split, now we can supply both sides. And where, because I always say finally, then ask another one after that, it's a tradition now, where are we going to see this car racing for the first time? We are Audi Sport customer racing, so it's down to our customers. No development car for perhaps a one-off race somewhere? There is a development car in existence, which actually is testing, or has been testing. Uh, obviously, uh, in the sake for, for the good of our customers, uh, it will take a severe program uh, and do a lot of kilometers or miles um, before we finally release the car for production. Uh, but for the moment, um, no competition is planned. Final, final question. What's your, your message to the competition? We know a few other brands out there are looking at GT2, looking carefully at GT2, Porsche are clearly already there. Is there a message from Audi Sport? Well, obviously, here we are. Where are you? Chris Franklin, thanks a million. Always good to catch up with old friends in any paddock, in the Goodwood Festival of Speed. Sometimes you see the faces, but in the case of the man I'm standing next to now, the first thing you spot is the hat. Eric Vanderpoel, it is lovely to see you. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Second time for me, and uh, it's an incredible event. Isn't it just? Absolutely packed here. There'll be well over 100,000 people here today. Um, we're standing next to a simply fabulous BMW E30 M3. Tell us a little bit about the car. Yes, this car is a bit uh, in my heart. You know, when I started with junior team BMW, was 87, was the first year of the M3. And this car was straight away uh, successful. Of course, we had um, a fantastic year. We won the DTM championship with this car and this one is by the way is a 92 version from DTM and uh, of course we we had a lot of races in Group A European Championship World Championship uh, and uh, all around the world of course BTCC here and uh, this car won so in so many places so I think I will keep it I will go back at home uh, <laughs> with it <laughs> now a very very valuable car indeed I know even the road going versions of these cars fetching spectacular money um, you must be looking forward to showing this thing off. A little bit sideways, maybe? Well, not really, you know. I, I don't want to hurt anything in, in this car. So, no, it's, it's just a pleasure every time I, I go back. I had the chance a few weeks ago to do uh, the classic uh, DTM race in Zolder. So it was like in the past. And, uh, by the way, I, sh- I shared the, the wheel with uh, my old teammate Mark Essel who was the junior oh, wow. team in 87 and we, we raced on the same car so it was a wonderful uh, weekend and uh, every time I go back in this car it's, it's uh, I, I can say phantasm, not orgasm but nearly <laughs> <laughs> We loved seeing you in your pomp particularly in the sports car racing world in prototypes and lastly in GT uh, race cars. Things have moved forward dramatically. Are you still keeping an eye on the way the sport is developing? Yes, even if um, I, I don't agree with uh, all the regulation and stuff like this. And uh, Of course, uh, we had difficult time uh, when FIA um, bring the categories drivers. I think many drivers lost his wheel job and uh, it was my case. So, of course, it was very hard. Uh, but of course I, I still follow that and uh, I was at Spa yesterday for the test or two days ago for the 24 hours test and uh, it's difficult to to leave my passion you know I love that and uh, I think I will still racing uh, during many years if I can well 
you know what? Driver category can come around and help. You must be, how can we put this, mature enough now to be a bronze-rated driver. Any opportunities? Please don't speak about categories because it, it keeps me so upset, you know. It killed my job. It killed my, uh, my uh, passion. And uh, for me, it was a very difficult time when, when it happens. And I'm 100% against this. I, I can see the anger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, I think uh, teams uh, has to decide what's their priority. If they play for victories or if they play for money. Yeah. And it's not FIA or the organization who has to decide for the teams which are the, their priorities. So it's upset me very much. But anyway. Let's talk about that spa test I was watching from afar. It did seem to me there was a remarkable number of incidents, a remarkable number of damaged cars. When? At the spa test. Yes, because spa, you know, it's a very fast track. And of course, those cars are very quick now quite easy to drive I have to say for a professional because you have a lot of assistance electronic assistance so you have to decide when you begin to brake when you begin to turn and when you beginning to accelerate and many uh, uh, assistance electronic assistance helps the drivers but of course it's still very quick uh, it's very demanding very hot in the car and you you know it's still a human uh, sport and you can do mistakes so I have to say, I think there was some uh, blew-up tires at Eau Rouge, and when I went to see there, I could see many cars touching the tires on the on the wings, yep. and I think it can happen again. So they have to to be very uh, aware about that, uh, and I think it's part of the the crash they had. There can be few men alive that know Spa and the Spa 24 Hours better than you do. I loved watching you in your pomp in the Maserati in particular. Oh. Uh, great years 73 cars are going to be on that grid now I have an opinion happy to share it with you I think that's too many what do you think too many you know it's never too many it's good for the publics but what I don't like it's that you have too many uh, which are not really competitive you know of course you have I think 15 cars who can win but again if if the team could choose the drivers it will be 25 cars or 30 cars who can win. But anyway, the, the spectacle is fantastic. The cars are beautiful. The race is incredible because that's the, 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 the fact of racing who makes really the, the, the victory to the guy. You have to be perfect from the, the start at the end to the end. And uh, also, you, you really have to, to be lucky, you know, with the yellow flags, with, the, with everything. So today to win Spa 24 hours it's really really tough do you fancy another go? yes of course if I can drive for a car who can win yes of course directly let's see what we can do to make that happen Eric van der Poel always a joy in any paddock it's great to see that the anger about driver ratings it can be replaced by that trademark smile with a trademark hat when you go up in this BMW M3 have a lovely day thank you bye bye